to be back at season two for this Vibes by Alicia podcast. I'm so excited to have you back and joining us. And today I'm really fired up because my producer Arlette came to me this morning and she was giving me this story about a friend of hers. And I was just so um, taken aback because it is something that has been happening for years. It's something that almost happened to me. But once she tells you a little bit more about it, you'll realize how um, how common this problem is among women and among women in our community, women, Latina women, Mexican women, women who, you know, a lot of times are raised in very traditional, strict households. Uh, Arlette, tell us a little bit about your friend. Okay, so I have this friend that I had to leave her house because she lived in a very toxic situation. Um, so she wanted to move out with her boyfriend, but because precisely of Mexican-American traditions, you're not allowed to yeah. leave your home without getting married. Right. So she decided to get married on a whim with this person so that her parents would be happy with her decision of moving out. Because you couldn't move out unless, that person couldn't move out unless they were married. Yes. Ah, uh, gotcha, gotcha. Which is so common, right? Like yeah. you can't go anywhere. You don't move out unless you're married. I was, my dad didn't let me go to UT because he was like, uh, you're leaving the house? Like, how would you go to UT? You're gonna go live in Austin. That was something that he just was not happy about. <laughs> I wrote that, I wrote about that in my book. Anyways, yeah. And so then what happened with your friend? So they moved out. They had this like nice life for at least six months. Um, they got, he got sick and she convinced him to go to Mexico because he didn't have medical insurance. Gotcha. So once they went to Mexico, they spent all of December with his family. She got to know them and everything. And then when they came back, he told her he didn't want to be with her anymore after a day that he spent with his mother and his sister. Mm. So after that, she made a bunch of wrong decisions that took her down this black, dark rabbit hole. Uh, and they ended up separating mm -hmm. by October. Okay. Is she divorced? Or is she She's trying separated. to get divorced? She's trying to get divorced She's right trying. now. She needs to get a divorce. <laughs> she needs to go find a way to make it happen. <laughs> that is unbelievable. But you know what? Can I tell you this? I'm 45. Um... I do remember a lot of young women my age back when we were 20, 21 in college getting married to the wrong people because they just could not be at home anymore. And that is one thing that my father and my mother realized very early on, that if they made my life miserable as a young woman, that I would leave as well. I was in the position to be married at 21 with a high school boyfriend who I had been dating for six years through 10th grade all the way through my senior year in college. 
And, you know, I would have been that girl because I would have been the one that says, oh, you're making my life miserable. I'm going to just go marry him. And he loves me because he would say to me, honestly, he would say to me, I love you so much. Nobody will ever love you like I do. And so if you ever leave me, just rest assured you are going to be miserable. Rest assured you, your life will never be the same. Rest assured you're never going to have anybody love you again the way that I love you. If I would have listened to that, if I would have been that girl that was, you know what? He might be right and fearful about it. But one day I just went over to my dad and I told my dad, hey, you know, this is what's happening. And he said, why are you even allowing anybody to talk to you that way? Why do you allow giving me the power to make that decision myself that I am worthy of more than what he's willing to give me. Who is he to say that you're only worthy of love the way that I can give it to you? Who's to say that? Who has the power to give you that ultimatum that only me and only I can give you this love? I think a lot of women, young women are, you know, I think they're being raised in households that are very strict. And that goes back to the book that I wrote because the book was about fathers giving their girls the empowerment, the inspiration to reach their goals and to reach higher and to support their educational goals like my father did for me. I think, you know, if you go back and you think about you know, Mexican fathers. I know that, for example, your father was educated. He had a college education, correct? My father didn't. My father had a sixth grade education. But what he wanted for his girls was even more than he ever had. And even though he couldn't afford to pay for our college education, he was going to do whatever he could to support our college education. Um, Whether that was raising money for something, whether that was being there for me when I needed somebody to just step in for me. I know that you mentioned that, you know, your friend came from a toxic relationship, came from a toxic household. But I think one thing that a lot of parents don't realize, even when they're in a toxic or young girls or young women don't realize is that you could be the change of that toxic relationship or that toxic household. Because we are in an era where information, knowledge and skills is so, it's so um, evident. It's out there. You can research it. You can learn it. But I think what, what's important is a lot of them are waiting for that paternal or that maternal um, motivation or their, their parents to inspire them and motivate them. And I think nowadays, honestly, there's so much more mentorship that can be accessed that I don't think they realize that they can be mentees to somebody. And when I see, you know, stories like that, it just reminds me that there's so many different expectations that we have as women and women of color, women of, you know, households who are traditional versus households who are more liberal, which, by the way, it isn't a bad thing to come from a household that's a little bit more liberal. I wasn't raised with the mentality of, you know, you have sex with this guy, you're going to have to marry him. I'm grateful for that because I wasn't raised with that. If anything, my parents always said, your value comes from your mind and your heart and not from anything else. So moving forward, anything that I did, I knew that if I was going to meet somebody who was going to marry me, 
they, that person has to meet me at a mental level. You know what my, my dad said to me one day? He goes, tú eres bien cabrona. Tú necesitas alguien que sea bien cabrón because he has to meet you halfway. And it doesn't mean like he has to be an asshole or a, but he has to be cabrón in the mentality of like badass, fucking driven, ambitious and like hardcore like you are. Because I used to tell my dad, I used to tell him, I'm never going to meet a Mexican guy because, you know, those they, they, they just want me to be like a regular girl and just like be normal and, you know, just like keep my thoughts to myself and like don't have opinions. Those were all the guys that I was meeting when I was dating, especially my ex-boyfriend. He was like, uh, you're going to go back to graduate school? Why? I just put up with you through your college education. Hence, quote unquote, the words put up with you. What does that tell you, Arlet? What does that say? If he's putting up with me and getting my college education. That he doesn't appreciate why you're doing it. He considers it as a chore. Yeah, he's putting up with me. That's horrible. Next step, he would say, I hate it when you you talk your college girl talk. And you know what that meant? That meant that I was learning new vocabulary. I was articulating things a little bit better. We grew up in a neighborhood where, you know, most of the girls, most of the guys didn't go to college. If they did, it was a very, very difficult task. And for me, I was very lucky that I was able to get into a private university through a minority college scholarship, which meant I needed to keep like a certain grade point average. I was supposed to. Yeah. Guess what? My education started making me see things differently. I was reading different types of books. I was reading things at another level that he wasn't understanding. So my vocabulary was definitely elevated you know the more you read it's what i tell my kids the more you read the more your vocabulary gets elevated the more things become more clear to you i wasn't raised in a really traditional household in terms of like you know you 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 know um because this is my mother. My mother was raised in a very Catholic home and, you know, you marry the guy you have sex with, that sort of thing. And I am grateful that she didn't raise me that way because she was like, you know, you can go out and have a good time, do your thing. Always be careful about it. And that gave me the empowerment as a woman to be like, you know what, I'm going to f- see what's out there. I'm going to, you know, try different things and, you know, come to my own conclusions. Obviously, you're always careful. And my value wasn't on my vagina. My value was on my mind and my value was in my heart. What is it that you want in your life? Go out and seek it and look for it and explore, basically explore. I remember my dad My dad would say, if anything, get out there and explore and see the world because then you will have a good sense of what you want for yourself. And if you want for yourself something that's subpar and not exceptional, that's your choice. But I am telling you right now that what you deserve is something exceptional because you're an exceptional girl. And that is the key in what I talk about in my book, Querido Papa, is that fathers need to be their first, the girl's first hero. They have to be the one that says to them, you deserve amazing, good things. And I think a lot of us, and maybe you're one of those that think maybe you don't deserve it because you're not being humble. And it has nothing to do with humility. Are you one of those? 
Is that something that it comes across for you? Actually, yeah. Yeah. And you told me that once mm-hmm. when you first met me, you were like, "You're really shy," and I was like, uh, "It's not so much that I'm shy. I try my best to be modest and humble." Yeah, but why? Because that's the values that my parents taught me, and instead of letting all of that show, mm-hmm. it was more about try to keep it hidden. Nobody has any business in knowing it. Mm-hmm. But yet, you're a, a, a young lady who's learning or speaking or doing five languages. You, four or five languages, almost five, right? You're very close to five. Someone who's highly educated, someone who's such a fabulous writer. I don't think you take credit for a lot of things that you should take credit for. And unless somebody else sees it in you, like I see that in you, you're not going to be someone that says it. And that's okay because you know what? I think, and this is what I tell my son, you don't have to tell people how good you are. You show people how good you are. You don't tell people, I'm a fantastic writer. You show them how much of a fantastic writer you are. You know, those are things that I think separate people who are humble and people who are cocky and people who are boisterous and arrogant. Because I think a lot of women will say, oh my gosh, I love what she stands for. She's super confident. I wish I could be like her. A lot of them are like that. They just don't, they just don't accept that for their life. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think a lot of them see it and they like, I like her style. I like what she does. She's got such a free flowing sexuality. She's got such a, you know, way about her. She's so confident. She walks in a room and she just owns a room and she's like a boss. But do you have to stop and think what were the steps that she took to get to that point? And all of those steps start at 17, 18, 19 years old. And who told her, who said to her, you are worthy of reaching the stars. You are worthy of traveling the world. I came from a household that never ever left anything but Monterrey, Mexico. And it was like, that was it. You never went anywhere else. But in my household, my father and my mother would say, oh, you're going to see the world. Oh, you're going to travel the United States. You're going to see everything. How in their mind, somebody who couldn't afford even to go anywhere but drive to Monterrey, say those things to someone so young at 17, 18. It's a vision. It's a manifestation in a way and talking about what you want for your kids and saying, yeah, you know what? Maybe we can't afford it, but you're going to have a college education and you're going to afford it. You're going to do that. You know, that's the difference. And so I think a lot of parents don't realize, you know, they tell their kids, especially young women, oh, be lucky if you find a good guy or be lucky if you even get a college education or be lucky if you have a good house because that's such a crazy expectation to have. What if they said to their daughters, you will have that household. You will travel the world. You are going to have that home and those kids and those things that you want for yourself. 
What if the mentality changed? What if the dialogue changed between parents and kids? What if the dialogue changed between parents and their Latina daughters? Instead of saying, Ay, ya no te va a querer. Ya, le, ya te acostaste con él. Ya no va a querer nada contigo. Right? Have you heard that before? Oh, yeah. All the time. And what if the dialogue changed? And she said, what if he was so lucky to have you? And he got a great little, you know, time with you, but you're moving on. You deserve better and you're moving on. What if the dialogue changed, Arlet? If the dialogue changed, it would certainly cause women to, especially Hispanic women, Latina women, to see themselves more as an object that can be discarded and more like a human being with human, with feelings and emotions as people that actually can think through what yeah. actually means to be with someone yeah. and what it means to enjoy the time with someone and what it means to actually love herself and guide herself mm -hmm. through life. And the idea that if you sleep with someone, you're discarded, uh, a discarded thing. The idea that the minute you sleep with someone or you have sex with someone, then you're not valuable anymore. Why are we putting so much value on having that vagina be so magical and virgin? And it isn't. Honestly, it isn't because men who love you, who care for you, who adore you and want to be with you, do not give a shit about that. Isn't it amazing how we, but where do you think that comes from? I think it comes from an extended effect of religion on our culture, mm -hmm. which was passed down from the Spanish. Yeah. Like they forced us, like the indigenous people to convert mm -hmm. to Catholicism. And because of that, we have a very, <laughs> a very moralistic approach to things, but- Like a puritanical way of seeing things. Yeah. yeah. But even then those values are not even grounded on something that is accurate mm -hmm. especially not something that is current effective for now today day. yeah. yeah and you know what i i will always hear the argument of well those men are not worthy of you they're not um thinking of you in terms of your virginity or your pure pure the pure bullshit that i just hate that i think about girls and girlfriends that were raised in this very um, strict household that they had to marry the guy that they wanted to have sex with the first time and that was it and guess what they're miserable they hate that because they were not able to explore they were not able to know more they did not give themselves that chance to to discover themselves basically I think you discover a lot about yourself when you go about life and you not not I'm not saying become a hoe, but what I'm saying is 
Are you giving yourself a chance to explore your sexuality? Are you giving yourself an opportunity to know what you like and what you don't like? Because what ends up happening is that when you don't have that and you marry the first guy, a lot of times they don't have sexual chemistry. Mm-hmm. And sexual chemistry, in my point of view, is super important in a long-term relationship. But I think we say, oh, sexual re- chemistry will just come with time. In my opinion, I feel like if that sexual chemistry is not there from the beginning, it's not going to come with time. Because, yeah, you can try therapy. Yeah, you can try different strategies. You can try all sorts of different things. But if you're not attracted to that person, if you're not sexually attracted to that person, you're not going to have a good sexual life. It's just, what, in my opinion, what I think ends up happening. So, yeah, there's different uh, ways of raising women these days. And I think, you know, for us, as we're coming about in our life, what are your thoughts on, you know, sexuality and young women who feel maybe they're too conservative in their household? Maybe they're being in a toxic home. How do they realize that? There's more to life than just that toxic household, and you don't have to necessarily go out and get married to get away from that toxic household. I don't know. Like, what are the options? What are the alternatives if you're in a toxic house? If you're in a toxic house, I would certainly recommend before anything, uh, think about how you can get out of that situation. Think about, if you can't move out, think about how you can spend more and more time away from that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to be grounded, you need to have a certain, or grow a certain self-love, because you need to be able to shelter within yourself. How do you grow self-love, though, as a young woman? You're what, 21, 22? I'm 22. How do you how do you feel you grow your self love at this point in your life at 22? It's complicated, especially for someone in my position that hasn't graduated from school and is seeing all of her friends getting married and achieving all of these things. It's hard not to tell myself like you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. However. You need to remember everything has its time. Mm-hmm. Every situation comes to fruition at its, at its time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a reason why you're going through the things you're going. Yeah. There's a reason. Life has its reasons for why you're going through it. And it's not going to put anything in your way that you can't go through. You're being forged through fire, quite literally. Mm-hmm. So... To tell yourself these things, to acknowledge that you're a strong woman, Mm -hmm. even if you're going through this, even if you're crying and feeling terrible about yourself, you're going through it. The fact that you're still alive and you're waking up every day, that should give you the strength to love yourself for it, reward yourself, because not everybody can get through it. Not everybody gets to go through it. Yeah. I think that's a perfect... Yeah. I think it's really about 
finding that sense of purpose in yourself and it doesn't have to be there all the time but a reminder every morning that you are worthy of good you are worthy of big things and they're gonna come at the right time Mm-hmm. I think one thing that we struggle with in the society is that we always want instant gratification. I think we really struggle with instant gratification because everything is the immediate notification, the immediate comment when you post on social media. Uh, you you text somebody, you want somebody to text you back immediately. Like, I think that is something that needs to be developed over time. And sometimes as a young as a young woman, And honestly, it's been 20 years since I've thought about these things because I'm trying to go back to my 15-year-old self, my 20-year-old self, and what did I tell myself in order for me to be able to find the inspiration or the, the motivation to get up every day and to move forward and to, I guess reach for the stars when in your neighborhood you didn't see stars all you saw was despair all you saw was poverty um you know going with a mother through finding food stamps you know uh going with my dad to find old washers and dryers and refrigerators so he can pull out copper and aluminum which was something he could recycle all of those things were things that stayed in my mind and how does a girl like that who can see all this despair and see all this need and be so I guess um warped by negativity how does that girl get out every single day and hope for the best I think it's a matter of a mindset that says this is only temporary this does not last forever this is not something that will be here for long term and you have the ability to change it you really do have the ability to change it I was in a really 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 dire situation in 1997 in March of 1997 because I had just broken up with my long-term boyfriend um, and he was coming over to my house every single day begging me begging me to go back and I knew I could not go back to him I knew in my heart that I did not want to go back to him I could not go back to him because if I did go back to him, that would mean that I had given up on myself and my future. Because going back to somebody who was part of my old neighborhood was being a part of that old neighborhood. It was, I was again living in my old neighborhood where, you know, mediocrity was okay. And here I am, a, a, what, I was 20, 21, almost 20, no, I was 21 at the time, thinking, I don't want mediocrity for myself. I want more for myself. It's 1997, it's March. My sister and I get in my car, and we say, you know what, let's go drive around Spring Branch. My dad was working at an apartment. He was, in a, main, he was a maintenance guy at the apartments. Uh... Brompton Square Apartments on Whitty and Westview. He had already been there 10 years, and we said, you know what, what if we move closer where Daddy works? 
Let's get in the car. She's what? Maybe 17, 18. She's three years younger than me. Let's go see what we can find over there. Maybe we move. Never in our head did we think we would move from the north side. Let's think about it. Let's see. We drive around. We go in circles and we go all over the place and we're like going down Campwood. All of a sudden, we come around this neighborhood. And here is this house. And this house has a for sale sign by owner. And I say to her, you know what? If they sell by owner, maybe it's easier for us to be able to buy the house. Granted, I'm a college student. She's a freshman in college. My parents are barely making, my dad's a maintenance worker. My mom is a housemaker. Here we are thinking, oh, we can probably buy a house in Spring Ranch. (laughs) This is 1997. We walk into the house. The lady of the house, her name is Robin McMillian, McMillan. We say, Robin, can we look at your house? We're looking to buy a house. Honestly, we were not looking to buy a house. We just thought, okay, let's see if maybe we could buy a house in Spring Branch. My parents definitely don't have the money for this, but maybe let's see what happens. We walk in and it's this most beautiful, most amazing energy lady. Her name is Robin McMillan. I still remember her name. I don't know where she is now. She moved to Austin. And I remember saying to her, we're a family of four. It's my mom, my dad, my sister, and my two brothers. Oh, and we have a cousin living with us from Mexico, but you know, we're, not cons- we're not thinking about her right now. We're just talking about us. Sure, come in. Let's talk. Let's see. You know, you can look around the house. It's no problem. We walk around the house and we're like, oh my God, we love this house. We fell in love with this house. My sister and I looked at each other like, oh my God, this house is perfect. It would mean that we would have a bedroom for ourselves. It would mean mom and dad would have their own bedroom because my mom and dad actually slept in the living room in our old house. Again, we don't have the money for the house. We don't have a way to fund the house. But here we are trying to look at a house because honestly, we were desperate to get out of our own neighborhood. We were so desperate to get away from the north side because now that the north side isn't great, it's amazing. We loved it. We had the best times, but it was just not part of our growth. She and I were growing out of it. We were at another level intellectually. And if we stayed in that old house, it meant we were staying caged as two little birds because that's what it felt like. Our boyfriends knew where we lived. Their friends knew where we lived. If we moved, we would get away from all of that. We would get away from the... from the mentality of regular is okay. Mediocre was okay. We wanted better for ourselves. Robin said, hey, if you guys want to bring your parents, bring your parents. I'm selling my house. I have to sell my house within the next month because I'm moving to Austin. I'm, I just got divorced and I'm a, I just got a teaching job in Austin and I have to move within the next month. We were like, oh my gosh. So we drive back to the north side, which is about 20 minutes away. And... We get back and we tell our parents, oh, mommy, papi, encontramos una casa y esta casa está bonita, es grande. Cada quien tiene un cuarto 
you know, tú tienes tu cuarto, tú no te tienes que acostar en la sala. And we went over and over it. And my daddy said, no, we're not moving. We're staying here. We've already paid for this house. We're starting over. It's a whole mortgage. And so by this time, it was um, my senior year. I was in my student teaching year of college, and I knew that I was going to get a job literally in September, October. Exactly what I expected. I told Robin, I said, hold the house. Please hold the house for us. She said, I have to sell. And I said to her, Lisa to us, I can't buy the house right now. I'm going to get a job by September, October. I know it. I just know I'm going to get a job. I'm graduating college. My principal loves me. She's going to offer me a position. I just know it. She said, okay, I'll lease it for you through the summer because that was June, July, August when she needed to go back to teaching. And I still had my student teaching done September, October, November. I said to her, I'll lease it. I'll pay the lease, whatever it takes. I'm going to keep this house because we have to move out from where we are and we're going to come to your house and we're going to take it over. She said, I trust you. I like your family. I would not normally do this for anyone else. Honestly, there's other people that want to buy the house full price. It was at $78,500. But she goes, I like you and I like that how, you know, how committed you are to your family having this house. I will lease it to you. I will give you a really good rental. You're going to buy this house when you're ready. I said, yes, I am, Robin. I'm going to buy this house as soon as I'm ready. At September, my student teaching comes around. November, my principal says, hey, I have a position for you. Third grade, do you want to take it? I said, yes, I'm taking the position in third grade. I got a full-time job. I was ready to go. I find a mortgage broker and he's like, hey, whatever you've got, I'm going to work with you. I can't remember his name, but he was such a fucking amazing guy. I go in, I apply for my mortgage, and we purchased a house in December. And I remember telling my parents, I said, this house, no, we purchased it in September, in September, because that's when I got hired as a, as a full-time teacher. By the way, I got hired as a full-time teacher before being a graduate because my principal liked me so much. She said, I'm hiring you now, and I know you're going to get your college education and your certification, et cetera, et cetera. So we got our house right away. And after that, it was like we were able to breathe, honestly. We left our old life behind and we started brand new. I was 21. My parents were, you know, in, I don't know, their 40s, 50s. My sister was in a sophomore in college. And my brothers were going to high school in Northbrook. And then the little one was in elementary school. Anyways, it was like a start, like a brand new start. We left our whole life behind. And nobody from the north side knew where we had left. We told nobody where we had gone. Because I wanted nobody to come looking for me. I wanted no one to know where I was. Because I was starting anew. This is a new life for me. After that, everything changed. Everything changed. We, I finished my college career. I was able to purchase the house for my parents. I put my name down. I put my dad as a co-signer. My daddy obviously couldn't afford it, but I said I could because obviously I had a better, you know, paying job. I was making maybe 
$45,000, a year. I could afford the house. It was all under my name. In 2001, when I got married, Rusk and I got married in 2000, 2001, I went back to the mortgage broker and I said, give this house to my parents. It's theirs. It's not mine anymore. Signed everything over to them. From that point on, they started taking over the mortgage payments because I was doing the mortgage up to that point. I was doing all of the mortgage payments. Rusk and I got married. The one thing I told Rusk when we got married, I said, hey, I have responsibilities to my family. If you are okay with that, then we're good to go. If you're not okay with me having responsibilities with my family, then we're not gonna be a good relationship. We're not gonna last. My responsibilities to my family come first, first and foremost. I still pay their bills. My sister started taking over their bills. And then the baby, my little brother started taking over their bills. But I said to him, if it's an issue for you that I'm super committed to my parents and what they have to do and make sure that they're okay, then we're cool. If you're not, and then you're thinking that I'm way too much of a Mexican daughter, you know, what the Mexican daughter does, you know, she takes over everything, then that's okay. We're not a good match. But I need you to understand that right from the front. Maybe two months in Arlette, I told him those things. I said, those are important for me. I was very fortunate he comes from immigrant parents as well. So he knew the, he knew what it meant to take control and to take care of that. So for me, that was full on, 100% full blown. And they've been in their house now since 1997. So it's theirs, it's paid off, it's all theirs. My brothers took over after I got married. So that just tells you a little bit of the story of like how we as young women, we think our education doesn't get us anywhere. Our education is just like, oh, you know, maybe it's just gonna give us a degree. It gives us more than that. It just kind of breaks the cycle for someone who's ready to just reach the next level. And it really does. And that's something I've told you a thousand times. It said, you know, you just think about your bachelor's degree, but no, you think master's, you think PhD. It goes further than that. So I want to remind everybody, you know, today, just go back and look at the and, and, and follow us, recommend us, share whatever we have to share with everybody. Uh, go back to our Instagram account and follow us. Tell us what you're thinking. We would love your feedback. Arlette and I are so excited to be sharing just some insight on how we've grown and where, you know, some of the different ideas that we have for you and moving forward through this pandemic. It's not been easy. If anything, motivation has been lacking for a lot of people. But I can say to you that you have to look at the future and the future is bright and just stay focused on that future and that brightness coming through. Thank you for following us. Check out the next episode. We love you.